0: Welcome to Uncontained, episode 113. I'm your host, Aaron Static-Render, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Uncontained. And thank you for supporting Uncontained. Now there's more ways to support Uncontained than than there ever has been. You know, there's the Amazon banner at the top of the page. There is... There's the Amazon banner at the top of my webpage, uncontainedpod.com, there's tpublic.com where you can get kick-ass uncontained merch, and now there is Patreon as well, where you can become a patron and support uncontained, and and you can become a patron and support uncontained. Anyway... That you support Uncontained. I appreciate it. Even if it is just listening and telling somebody else about it, that is huge. Thank you for all your support. And this episode is a fun one. I talked to a very funny comedian that I actually saw perform a few months back in Berkeley, California, at the La Pena Cultural Center. He was performing with two past guests of Uncontained, Corey Polster and Granison Crawford. It was the League of Comedy All-Stars tour as they hit Northern California. And I touched base with them at the show, and uh, from there we set up a date to talk, and... The conversation is going from being chased by wild emus on his grandma's farm, growing up in Texas, and growing up half Cuban. So this is quite the conversation. It may jump around a little bit, but uh, it's it very entertaining, and also Dan has some great advice for people who are looking to get started out in stand-up comedy, or really any aspect of the entertainment industry so before i jump into the interview with dan i do have some stand-up to play for you this is actually a clip from the show i saw him perform at with the league of comedy all-stars tour here in northern california at the lapena cultural center so plug in your earbuds and uh get ready because this is how dan penna lives uncontained
1: if you can do anything with your life don't grow up half cuban it's the worst uh my cuban side of the family some of the sweetest people in the entire world but um just a little racist about the fact that I was the white sheep of the family. <laughs> like my grandfather Tito had like little subtle ways of reminding me just how white I was. Like he had he had nicknames for all of the grandkids. He would call my older brother, Nick, Papas Fritas, cause he's tall and thin like a French fry. Call my little brother, Bichito, he means little bug, cause he's the baby of the family. I got this interesting one. Um, El Fantasma de la Familia, which sounds really awesome when you're like six years old, you don't speak Spanish too well, but I grew up, I googled it, it means the family ghost.
0: How are you doing today, Dan?
1: I'm fantastic, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I actually saw you do stand-up a few months back here in uh, the Bay Area. uh, And actually, Berkeley. So you were touring with a couple of guys that I actually had on my show, along with another comedian. Mm -hmm. The four of you were on tour, hit up North California. And it was really cool seeing your set along with... Oh, thank you so much. Welcome, man. You're welcome. And it was really awesome getting to see, like... uh, two of my past guests on the show as well. Corey Polster and-, and Grandison Crawford.
1: Oh, fantastic comics.
0: Yeah. So I saw you in Berkeley, and uh, I really enjoyed all the comic sets, and uh, that's part of the reason why I have you on here tonight, man.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having
0: me. Yeah, of course. So for my audience that isn't quite familiar with you yet, you want to just do a brief introduction of yourself, uh, tell them where you're from. Um, Obviously, you're a comedian, but you just introduce yourself briefly like it's an AA meeting.
1: (laughs) Sure. Hi. I'm Dan, Dan <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles, and I am an L.A.-based comedian. Uh, travels all over the states and uh, recently internationally. I just performed in Japan, so that was pretty cool.
0: Right on, man. Right on. That is, that is awesome. Um, so what was it like performing in Japan?
1: Uh, you know, I was a little bit timid at first because I wasn't quite sure how the comedy would translate or if anything I said would really translate. Uh, But surprisingly, (laughs) uh, a lot of people do speak English over there and uh, there's a really great uh, community of performers and and comics out there. Uh, Shout out to stand up Tokyo, really great group out there
0: Uh uh, that had me cool so you didn't have to learn your set in japanese which is better. no no that would
1: have been disastrous i would have butchered it uh,
0: I, so. I would have been out at like konichiwa after that yeah. or Domo arigato, do yeah. and then i'm like okay now we just look at the crowd yeah <laughs>
1: exactly exactly
0: yeah so you find that in a lot of places though like you travel outside the u.s and people speak like English way better than you mentioned that uh, they spoke English way better than you spoke Japanese. So, oh, yes. Um, like I was in Germany, and just about everybody in Germany speaks English.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And w- one of the great things about traveling abroad is, uh, especially uh, if you look as wide as I do, people just identify you as uh, the loud American, and everybody, <laughs> wa- everybody just wants to try their English out. You know, so you will literally have people run up to you to uh, to try and speak to you in English, which is kind of cool. <laughs> like, oh well, I guess I don't need to bother learning a new language.
0: Yeah. (laughs) so how did you get set up with going to japan how'd you get that all lined up
1: uh well i'm nearing the end of my bucket list and uh and i'm i'm still pretty yeah still pretty young so uh i've been very fortunate uh in in the opportunities that i've had in life and so i i always wanted to go to japan and so i booked my trip and i thought to myself i was like well i would Really love to uh, to have my trip paid for.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, and so uh, I made a few cold calls and everything else. And uh, and one, two, before you know it, I'm performing in Japan. And so uh, the rest of my time was just kind of dicking around in Kyoto, which is pretty cool. So
0: Very yeah. nice. Very nice.
1: It was fantastic. It really worked out. It's surprising uh, what can happen with a few cold calls.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. right on <laughs> you got to know who to cold call too but you know, yeah right? exactly so um all right so your stand-up it relates a lot to you growing up correct
1: yeah yeah my stand-up is mainly uh me talking about growing up half cuban and uh and how weird that was uh, particularly because i don't sound cuban at all I, i've got this <laughs> kind of announcery seth rogany voice and uh, and i look super super alabaster white so uh, you even have a
0: little red tinge to your hair as well so i
1: know i know it's it's like i'm a quarter ginger or something
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm a half cuban and a quarter ginger and uh, the other quarter i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah the, nobody else in my family has red hair except me so you know i'm quite possibly the milkman's son who knows or the mailman <laughs> one of those
0: guys, one of the guys, one of the guys, yeah. you know, you never know. People <laughs> in your family look more Cuban than you do,
1: yeah, yeah. My uh, my brothers are a little bit more darker than I am and uh, have a lot more darker uh, facial features and stuff. Uh, th- they've got like the whole tall, dark, handsome thing going for them. I've got this kind of bumbling white guy, you know, look that's <laughs> that's just happy to be at the Super Bowl party, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, my, my mom. My mom is, is very white and okay. uh, my, my dad is very Cuban.
0: All right. Very cool. So we were talking a little bit earlier and you said you grew up in uh, Texas,
1: Yes. Right? yeah. Uh, growing up in Texas was, uh, was very interesting. Um, it was your typical, you know, growing up in Texas uh, upbringing where, you know, what we did for fun was we would just get drunk and venture off into the woods. And that's, we played this game called Survivor. And if you made it out of the woods drunk alive, you won Survivor. And, so and if you came not-
0: out sober, you lost. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We we had some crazy times. Uh, we we would uh, go to like sports. Uh uh, sports stores and buy like the inflatable rafts, and you could buy fireworks at any time during the year. And so we would just get drunk and uh, inflate these rafts and go down the creek and play pirates, like throwing these fireworks at each other. And uh, <laughs> and, and that, it was absolutely stupid and chaos. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was it was great. It was great. It was mayhem.
0: Exactly. If you haven't uh, been in a firework uh, fight, uh, you you haven't lived. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but whereas the Cuban part comes in um it was it was a little bit different because uh, all my friends were were very white and I went to public school and and, and all that stuff uh, but uh, I never knew that other people's grandparents were different you know or normal uh, i I just saw my 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 Cuban grandparents as, as normal. Okay. So, uh, and, and they, uh, they're a hundred percent Cuban and they had like this really big plantation over in Cuba with a lot of animals, a lot of land. And they wanted to recreate the entire thing in, in the outskirts of Houston. So okay. they, they they had like this very large farm that had like emus and horses, pigs, goats, turkeys, peacocks, and all wow. all, the, all these, it was, it was, it was, definitely uh definitely a zoo
0: <laughs> i was gonna say man uh, did they charge admission for people to come in like pet peacocks and shit they
1: should have <laughs> they should have uh in fact uh, there there was this one time where i got chased by emus and i had to climb up uh with my buddy jordan to the the top of the stalls because these these emus wanted to eat us and uh we were there for about an hour until a turkey came and saved the day and chased the emus away i wish i was making up this story but it's absolutely <laughs> had true
0: saved by a turkey huh i
1: got saved by a turkey uh emus are very frightening and you can absolutely tell that they are descendants of dinosaurs
0: how tall are they i, I i've seen like pictures of them but i've never really been in proximity to an emu at least that i can remember Uh,
1: it's tough to say because i was younger and uh shorter then so uh according to me they're uh 15 feet tall and and very frightening yes
0: (laughs) yes can it's amazing how your size can affect your view of a certain creature it's all it's all relativity my friend
1: yes (laughs) yes (laughs) in real life i'm sure they're like five foot something six feet maybe uh but my god those things were were towers and uh they had this guttural sound like you know like and they'll just chase you and my God! Like uh, you, you felt like you're being chased by a Velociraptor. You might as well be. Might as well. And, and
0: you grew up with the vision that this was normal. Like, in- yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Doesn't and, and everybody so-
0: gets chased by emus?
1: Yeah, right. And and I I would ask my my friends like, hey, what are you doing? You know, uh, this weekend. You know, and like my buddy Tyler or whatever, would be like, oh, I'm hanging out with my grandma. And I'd be like, cool, let's go pet her animals. You know, and she's like, <laughs> he's like, what are you talking about? My grandma does not have animals. What? Like, <laughs> she's got a dog, maybe. Uh, my uh my grandparents loved dogs. They're very they loved animals, and uh, they had. A lot of people uh, helping out with their animals as well. But uh, at at one point, they started off, I think, with three chihuahuas. Okay. And in a a matter of about five years, the number grew to like 67. And somehow, some way, I knew every single one of their names.
0: 67 chihuahuas?
1: (laughs) They loved animals so much that if they saw a stray, it just kind of jumped on, kind of latched onto that (laughs) path. But yeah, uh of the sixty seven dogs, there were maybe uh thirty something odd chihuahuas.
0: Okay. Wow, wow. Yeah. I, they, I,
1: they bred like rabbits.
0: You know, I thought uh, my parents had a lot of dogs, like uh, my dad and yeah. stepmom. We started out with one, then that dog, you know, it went out and ventured about, went around the block a few times, and yeah. uh, came back and uh, had six little surprises. So we had seven Black Lab <laughs> German Shepherd mutt mixes running around. Yeah. And- little
1: creature of the night there. <laughs> I know,
0: man. I know. I was like, yeah, you dirty dog. <laughs> <laughs> but I can I can relate to like the thinking somethings like thinking that everybody has like say the pets or like something that your family does like my grandma was Italian all right and every Thanksgiving we would have like ravioli or Italian beef and uh, I thought like everybody so I thought everybody had thanksgiving or christmas raviolis i was like oh man the ravioli was awesome like you have ravioli (laughs) i'm like yeah yeah. don't you that's like a thanksgiving staple (laughs) yeah (laughs) not quite emus chasing me but you know
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting how every family has like their own little specific thing that you just think is normal you know yeah Uh, like uh for christmases uh my mom every single christmas morning she will make monkey bread Okay, and uh, and she always called it sticky buns, and so uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, I was at like a, a a kid's birthday party or something. Like one of my buddies had a kid, and I'm at, I'm at their birthday party at like a Chuck E. Cheese, and they were serving uh sticky buns i was like oh my gosh this is uh, i love eating this every single christmas you know we we make this uh and i and he, they were like what are you talking about this is monkey bread i don't know what sticky buns are and so <laughs> i kind of learned what monkey bread was and uh and that it's actually like a cake you know <laughs> it's yeah. like having cake for breakfast so uh but yeah every, every single christmas morning i just thought everybody had uh had sticky buns slash monkey bread
0: and they should
1: they should. It's I know. So good, I, like, start that know? tradition.
0: Like, yeah. where's where's your mom where's from? Your mom? Like, with uh, a lot of it's like the dialect or like local vernacular or what you call things. Because yeah. like, I'm I'm originally from the Midwest, so it's like sticky buns did not sound too off the off the wall for me.
1: Yeah, um she's originally from Pennsylvania, but uh I think she spent enough time in Texas that like all that pennsylvanian ness has kind of washed away. And so she's got a little bit of like that southern Texan twang. Okay. You know, uh, but uh but you have to listen to it. But it's there. And same with my father, interestingly. Uh his his Cuban accent is kind of like this Cuban-Texan hybrid. It's very that, interesting.
0: That is interesting. Yeah. So how did uh You get your voice that you have now with no Cuban accent, no Southern accent, just the Uh, Seth Rogen accent.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I I would say uh, my accent uh, probably comes from just a lot of acting class and okay. uh, just just having to. Uh, I, I grew up as an actor. I did a lot of community theater, and uh, we didn't have microphones for most of our productions. So they always said project your voice, uh-huh. and so now now I just have this booming thunderous voice, uh, or at least people tell me it's thunderous uh because i i literally can't whisper it's like uh this is me at a whisper right here you know? i know that's I probably know. <laughs> that's probably like regular talking
0: you know Do, i relate to so, that i relate to that completely like as a as a child like i was always told to quiet down and then when i had to whisper my whisper was like this and yeah. people could hear my <laughs> whisper louder than what i was saying or whatever i was like you yeah. can't whisper and i still have that to today but you know
1: yeah <laughs> I can say this when I'm drunk or really tired, sometimes a little bit of that Texan slang can come out. And uh, I, I also had to change my vocabulary to some extent. I, I kept saying y'all, uh, and, uh, and people be oh, that's so cute. And I don't know, it, that'd get annoying. So I stopped saying y'all. And I used to say, I'm fixing to go do something. I'm fixing. <laughs> fixing to go to the store I'm, I'm fixing to do the laundry uh i, I no longer say fixing. so
0: right on uh, right on did uh the so, whole blue collar comedy tour put an end to that
1: yeah i think so,
0: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah you say y'all from the south like in the Midwest, it's like you guys. Yeah, like, I say
1: you guys a lot.
0: Yeah. From the Midwest, you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, you guys, how are you guys? Doing? Yeah. like, so, uh, hey, everybody, how are you all doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You'll get that from place to place. So let's talk about your stand up a minute. Sure. Obviously, you get motivation from when you were a kid, but is there anything else that uh, goes into it or like where do you draw from for your stand up?
1: It's mostly just life experiences, uh, that I talk about. Um, I don't, I don't particularly get into politics. I feel like it's oversaturated right now. Uh, and I don't really talk about, uh, too many, uh, movies or current events because, uh, usually by the time that I go up, I'm, I'm, I'm usually towards the end of the, the, the lineup and so a few other comedians have already gone on and talked about Tinder or talked about Donald Trump or whatever. And and I don't want to be that comic, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just don't want to be a part of the reason that it's oversaturated. So yeah, I, right. I tend to just kind of stick to what I know, which is my own life, and try and make some of these things like growing up half Cuban – uh, or, or, you know, the, the monkey bread. Yeah. I try and make people kind of look inwardly at themselves that I wonder what I do. That's kind of different, you know, that might, that I might think is normal. And so that's generally where I draw from. It's a lot easier to make fun of myself than it is other people. I'm not good at, you know, roast comedy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but i'm i'm good at turning it inward
0: okay right on man so do you find were you always that way as a comic or do you did you f- at one time find it hard to like bring yourself into it as a subject
1: um sorry can you say the question yeah
0: yeah i'm sorry that was kind of terribly phrased but um (laughs) you know a lot of people start out doing like observational comedy kind of like a jerry seinfeld type thing like what's with these over here without the horrible (laughs) seinfeld impersonation but uh but when it comes to uh, you notice a lot of good comics a lot of like well-known comics turn it inward and talk about themselves kind of going back to the oscar Wilde quote like uh everybody else is already taken so be yourself type thing paraphrase for sure but a lot of comics find it hard to bring themselves into the focus it's almost like they hide behind the observations of other things and um Kind of shield themselves like for me for example like i went blind in my right eye uh, when i was 27 and i wanted to figure out how i could get on stage and talk about that without getting the ah uh, type thing because i i don't want like uh sympathy from people but do you ever find it like hard to make yourself the the focus of your comedy
1: not necessarily. Uh, I, I would say it's it's easier for myself, actually, to make myself the topic of my comedy than anything else, uh, just because I think what makes us all individual is perspective. And uh, <clears throat> if you're going out there and telling a bunch of, you know, uh, chicken cross the road kind of jokes, there's not really much of an opinion there. Uh, there's not really much of a perspective or anything necessarily unique, you know? Uh, so it's a lot easier for me to just kind of draw from, from other things, uh, uh, instances that I've lived through or, uh, or little anecdotes, if you will.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think that making yourself the subject of the comedy kind of is what helped, your comedy relate to people in Japan or all over. Like there's a lot of like regional comedy or things that work in certain areas or not. But when it's personal, when it's about like your own personality and about um, real experiences instead of just like some local grocery store chain or something like that, you know, it kind of opens it up to a more wider, vast audience.
1: Oh, for sure. However, i i, I would not uh, I would not want to undermine the importance of regional comedy either. Uh, one of the best things you could do as an opener, uh, as a comic, especially if you're new uh, to the area, like I was in Japan, it's good to always open with. Uh, a joke that's particular to that area or that club or that audience. So that way you can kind of get them on your side. You don't feel as much as an outsider. So it's a really good lead in, but I wouldn't necessarily make that the entire subject of your set.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of like get a little familiarity between the audience and yourself. So they're like, okay, I can relate to this guy. Exactly.
1: (laughs) We're on the same team. I get it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Very cool, man. Very cool. So um, what do you have coming up? What's next for you, Dan?
1: Uh, Well, I will be performing at the Federal Bar in North Hollywood on April 11th, and that show starts at 7.45 p.m. Uh, Tickets are available in advance at rebelsofcomedy.com. Okay. Uh, you can also find me uh, performing at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank uh, on April 18th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $10. Uh, you can follow me on social media at I am Dan Penna, and I'll have some free ticket links up.
0: All right, sounds good, man. So uh, I'll give you another chance to shout out your social media here before we get into the, like, the final question at the end of the show. And cool, I'll yeah. make sure to get a list, put them in the show notes. But, yeah, make sure you definitely hit up Dan on social media. Let him know you heard him here. And uh, I'm talking about sticky buns, which sounds kind of <laughs> dirty when you say it in, a, in the right way. But <laughs> <laughs> sticky buns for Christmas. All right. <laughs> Uh, that's
1: that's what every child wants for Christmas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could take this down a really dark path, but I'll I'll take the I'll take the high road on this one. Yeah, there we um, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So like what advice would you have for like people who are looking to get started out doing stand up comedy or maybe take their stand up to the next level?
1: Um. Okay. Cool. So there's uh there's two different ways. Uh, I, th- th- that's for me. That's two different questions. So I'm, okay. I'm gonna uh, the the first one uh, for someone who wants to get started in stand up. I got started on a dare, uh, and I can say um, I tried stand up comedy willy nilly uh, in Houston, Texas. I want to say in like 2004 or something like that, and bombed at the Houston laugh stop. Uh, it was an open mic. It was garbage. It was not structured. Uh, it was funny, but not funny enough. Okay. And, uh, and that was willy nilly. Some, some people just have a knack for it and they could just go out and do it. Uh, I like and and crave, uh, structure. And so, uh, I, on a dare took a class, uh, and from there, uh, I had a lot of structure. It was a lot more refined and so it gave me the confidence to go out there and create new jokes with the same kind of structure. And, uh, and so I was able to better refine what I was putting out there for an audience. So I would highly recommend taking a class because they're very supportive. And it also helps with accountability in creating new jokes. Outside of a classroom setting, it's a lot more difficult for me to, to sit down and allot some time to literally just sit and write jokes. Uh, but with, with the class, it's like, you have to have it by this time, you know, (laughs) you have (laughs) to have something to present.
0: Deadlines. And,
1: uh, exactly. Deadlines help tremendously. And, uh, for me at least. So it's, it's whatever you want to do, but I would highly recommend taking a class. And for someone that's already gone out there and taken a class, um, and who already has a refined amount of uh, of jokes, I would recommend several things. Um, cold calling uh, clubs is always uh, helpful. You could always ask who the booker is, or you could ask about independent producers to get yourself on more shows. Okay. Usually they'll they'll get back to you and say. Uh, what's your material have, have a little clip, you know, like three, usually about three to five minutes of your material already edited together. Uh, some people want different things. I just recently had to edit together, uh, a clip of me performing in several different cities because someone wanted to see me traveling you know
0: yeah and probably see how you related to other audiences other than just the local one
1: exactly i mean it's it's always good to have as many tricks up your sleeve as possible um so cold calls helps uh a lot of these comics uh after they perform in a show they'll just get up cut and run be like thank you so much for having me on the show bye and then they just peace out it's extremely important to stick around and talk with your audience, engage with them because it makes you more human and it's networking, you know? And, uh, and that's, that's, that's very important. Always bring a card with you. Uh, Aaron, I think I even gave you a card. You didn't did. I?
0: You did. I, I actually yeah. need to take that advice and uh, make sure I have uh, business cards on me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, I mean that, that goes for, for so many things. You, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, business you're in, if it's show business or business business, you know, Yeah, it's always, it's always good to kind of pay attention to who your audience is and, uh, and be able to plug yourself at a given moment. And uh, outside of cold calls and networking, uh, it's it's also pretty important to get in touch with some of the clubs or a venue. Uh, And especially if you're in a city that doesn't particularly have uh, a saturated market for comedy, uh, you could kind of create your own. Uh, I just worked with Stand Up Tokyo, uh, a very wonderful group of uh, comedians out there in Tokyo, and I—I I think that they took. Their, that advice, not necessarily my advice, I mean, it is now uh, my <laughs> advice, but they they, they, uh, they went into a market that wasn't particularly strong in stand-up and kind of created their own thing by going from venue to venue and uh, creating their own shows there and kind yeah. of really staking their claim to it. And uh, I, I do a show at Flappers and Burbank monthly, the Eclectic Comedy Show, which is mine, and it's helped me uh, tremendously in terms of going up uh, more frequently. Uh, it's profitable, uh, which I think is what everybody wants to do when you're in show business, is not just ignore the business part, but you also yeah. have to you know, make money somehow. And, uh, and so that's helped a lot in monetizing something and changing it from just a, uh, a hobby into something that's more of a career okay. and, uh, and they can actually pay bills. And so I, I, would recommend putting on your own show. I know, uh, a woman in Chico, California that is always like, Oh, I really wish, you know, there were more opportunities. And I, I, tell her every single time, create your own show out there, go to a bar, you know, uh, and, uh, work out a door deal. So that's, that's what I would, uh, recommend, highly for for the more experienced uh, comic
0: definitely that uh that is actually some really good advice right there that somebody could actually take and go use yeah hopefully (laughs) yeah yeah so um i'm always curious when i hear that a comic bombed their first set like, what was it that got you to go back on stage? Was it the did? Were you dared to go up for the open mic, or was it that you were dared uh, to take the comedy class after the bomb?
1: Um, I bombed a long, long time, like I said, around like 2004. And uh, it was so bad that I didn't even think about doing stand up comedy ever again. I was like, Oh, well, that's fun. You know, I I faced my I faced my fears once, you know. Uh, But uh, several years later, uh, over 10 years later, somebody dared me to take the class. I always said, you know, maybe I should get back into it. You know, people keep telling me. I should give it a try. And I'm glad I listened. I'm, I'm glad I took that dare. And uh, and there's so much to learn from bombing. Uh, I, I did a corporate event. Uh, and I did uh, maybe about like 40 minutes or something like that. Um, and these people are paying me to go up there and be funny. And uh, I, I absolutely bombed and uh <laughs> and uh, I was told I didn't bomb but you know when when you're a comic you kind of have like your own standards of what is bombing and what isn't and so you just kind of have to look at what you would think would be a failure and see what you can learn from it and I'm I I would say I'm a better comic from from my bombs because I can kind of it teaches you how to read an audience it teaches you because uh, I almost always go out there with like high energy right off the top. Yeah, and not every single audience is looking for high energy. Some people want it at a, a steadier pace, and so it's a uh, it's it's an invaluable lesson. Yeah, bombing.
0: yeah, and you get that feeling, you know, like when jokes don't get as big of a laugh as you expect them to. That can be internalized as bombing. Correct?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yes.
0: I know we kind of touched on this a little bit during when you were giving your advice to comics, but uh, on top of getting a business card and maybe even on top of networking, what is it that you do to promote yourself?
1: Uh, to prom- I promote myself in different ways. Um, and I, I could be better at promoting myself, to be quite honest. Um, the problem with promotion with me is I it's a very necessary beast, but at the same time, I I feel very like narcissistic if I plug <laughs> if I plug myself too much. I'm like, oh god, I really hope people don't think that it's like always the Dan show. Dan, 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 Dan's got this. Dan's got that, and so uh, I'm like keenly aware of uh, of how people perceive me and i don't want to be that guy that's constantly blowing up their facebook or their instagram although it's like i said a very necessary beast to promote yourself so what i generally try to do is uh i'll go on to a podcast like this one uh, to to make a plug um i will make some silly flyers uh And I'll try to put as many of my own friends and comic buddies in my shows as possible. Uh, So that way, the more people you have in your shows uh, that can promote, the more likelihood you'll have people going out and getting, you know, more people uh, to see your show. Um, I talk to the clubs to try and see uh, what they're doing to promote the shows that I'm in. Okay, Uh, But for the most part... I I try not to oversaturate Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and the usual social hangouts. So, Social apps and hangouts.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so people aren't like, uh, oh, damn, another post from Dan. and Betty's talking about his show. Uh, do yeah. you like supplement other material in there too, like pictures of you and your dog, or like personal stuff, so people can get to know the personal side of you? Or do you oh, keep your posts like show tonight at the ice house?
1: I mean, I, I do a little bit of both. Uh, so my my Facebook and my Instagram is filled with a lot of personal stuff as well as like the ads and stuff like I call them ads. They feel like ads, you know, (laughs) you know, uh, for these shows. And I think, I think the mixture that I'm doing is, is fine, uh, particularly because I don't want to feel like some, I, I don't want to feel like just any kind of performer. Okay. I, the the journey that I'm on, I, I would really like, you know, to perceive as, as shared with my audience, you know, I'm, I'm not going up in front of an empty room. The other people that are coming into that room are a part of that experience. And so to, to have, more personal pictures of me and my dog or, you know, me and my girlfriend or whatever um, that I feel like sells the personability of who I am, you know, and, uh, and makes me more accessible and more relatable as a human being.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And as an entertainer too. So yeah. that kind of sets up perfectly for the next question. I'm just going to shuffle my questions around a little bit since we're sure. talking about yeah. that right now. What is it that you want your audience to take away and remember about your show what or a feeling that you want them to get?
1: Um, I, I, there are several things I really want my, my audience to take away, uh, from it. I think we touched a little bit on it earlier when I said I, I would appreciate it if they could kind of look inward and kind of be like, Hmm, I wonder what about my life I perceive as normal, but might might not necessarily be normal to other people. Yeah. And uh, and kind of explore that about themselves. That's what makes them unique. That's what makes them so cool and and worth. That's worth sharing to the world. Uh, another thing uh, I would love is, uh, and this is the greatest compliment ever, is when someone sees your set and then they tell me, uh, "I want to try doing stand up," or uh, or that. That looks so easy. I'm I'm going to do stand up now, and that is like the best compliment ever because I put a lot of hard work into my yeah. sets, and to ma- the fact that I made it look easy is is so cool. You know, that's <laughs> so, <laughs> so like oh yeah. I'm I'm so glad you think it's easy. Uh, you know, and for some people, I'm sure it's just you know off the cuff and completely easy and natural. But for someone like myself, a lot of work goes into it. And so it's it's a high high compliment if I could inspire someone, or uh, or at least make them think, oh, I can do that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, right. And in the in the meantime, I'm guessing as they're saying, oh, that looks easy. I could do that. You're kind of thinking, well, may look easy, but there's a lot and lot of work that goes into this
1: for me, at least for me, at least, you know, uh, so I mean, if, if they're the next Robin Williams and they just go up there and they're just lightning, you know, uh, that would be incredible. But, you know, Robin Williams had to get started somewhere, too, you know.
0: All right. Very cool, man. So um, what would be a highlight or two that you've had happen or experience throughout your career?
1: I would say uh, some of the. Some of my favorite highlights uh was it was absolutely the the Tokyo Japan trip was very cool I can imagine uh, cuz <laughs> I I got to kind of explore this uh, this new group or at least they seem new they could have been there for a while for all I know uh but this this really budding market was really incredible Uh, Over there, Uh, among some other things, um, I got to participate this past year in my very first uh, comedy festival and got best of the fest for that, which was so thrilling, so thrilling and uh, in such an honor. And that that was really cool because uh, my family came from Houston uh, to support me. And, uh, I, I did all these shows and then sent them on the plane, uh, back home. And as I dropped them off at the airport, I got the call that I had made best of the fest. So that was so su- such, such an honor that they yeah. were, th- that they got to be a part of that. And, uh, uh shout out to TK Madison who gave me, uh, one of my first headlining gigs, uh, the first headlining gig I had ever had. And a uh, really, really great uh, producer does a lot of shows over at Sycamore Tavern and uh, the federal bar uh, in North Hollywood. And uh, that was one of the biggest highlights was, was when I got to headline for the first time. And uh, he also uh, did my first tour, you know? So that was, yeah, okay. he's, yeah, he's, he's an incredible guy. He's, discovered quite a few other comedians like uh, Craig Robinson and Angela Johnson and a few others.
0: Okay. Those are some pretty big names right there. So
1: yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, I also got to open for quite a few uh, large names over at the comedy store, which is pretty cool. Uh, I, I almost always uh, make this annual trip to uh, San Diego comic-con and I, I make a huge pilgrimage of it. You know, I'm there for like an entire week. And uh, maybe about two years ago, uh, I had to cut and run on a Friday night because I had booked a really huge show on the main stage at the Comedy Store, nice. opening for some really big names. And so uh, that was that felt like a game changer right there when you're uh, I'm used to performing and a theater of maybe about 200 people, you know, and this was a theater of like over 400. It was just so packed and so incredible.
0: Nice, man. The audience was electric. Mm -hmm. And that that always feels good as well. Um, But now we were talking earlier and you mentioned that after going to Japan, you're close to actually completing your bucket list. Like what? what else is on your bucket list right now that uh, you, at least that you care to share? Um, but like, what, what, what's another goal for you to achieve on that bucket list?
1: Uh, what I've got left is uh, I would like to go to London, which I think I'm going to do next year. Okay, uh, and uh, And I'm probably going to turn that into a comedy tour. So that way, you know, I can kind of make up some of the expenses, you know, for, you know, uh, for the plane ticket and, you know, stay and everything else. I, I almost always try and turn it, everything <laughs> into, uh, some sort of business venture, uh, because why not, why waste the opportunity, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh. And then you can also write it off.
1: (laughs) That too. That too. Uh, I did keep many receipts from Japan. Uh, Although I think uh, writing off yen on my taxes would be difficult. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) um, Let's see. uh, What else is left? Uh, Climb Mount Everest. I don't think I'm going to do that next year. uh, But... It's something I've always wanted to do because uh, that's a cool party opener. Like, oh, Dan, what do you do? I climb Mount Everest, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> being my trusty team of Sherpas.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hope, hopefully I can make it to the top. Hopefully I won't become one of those uh, dead body landmarks, you know, that kind of happens.
0: Yeah. Have yeah. you heard
1: about those? <laughs> I, I have. That's I good.
0: actually listened to it was a book on tape about somebody who uh climbed everest
1: there's like a guy named green boots or something like that that i guess like died around halfway up the mountain so when you see this this corpse you're just like oh i guess i'm about halfway you know (laughs) so hopefully i'm not like the 10 yard from base camp guy (laughs) yeah that
0: that would that'd be embarrassing especially on the way up but it even suck on the way down too you know like he was this close this close from base camp yes (laughs) yes he almost made it almost made it back down all (laughs) right so i have one final question for you uh before i get to that question dan uh where can people find you on the internet what's your social media and all that good stuff so people can contact you
1: uh I am my social media presence is strongest on Facebook and instagram uh at I am Dan Penna. you can still find me on Twitter and snapchat uh although i'm I'm more of a ghost there so like you'll find me occasionally, but you know same same handle I am dan penna okay uh all all one thing so yeah.
0: All right. Perfect. Simple enough. I'll make sure to put those in the uh, show notes and uh, that way people can easily find you. So I have the one final question for you. It's a title question of the show for you, Dan. Sure. Dan Penna, how do you live uncontained?
1: I <laughs> it's such a big question. Um, <laughs> it's it's so it's, it's 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 so easy to ask and, and yet so hard for me to answer. That's um, why I um, ask
0: and have you answer. I do the easy part. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. What What keeps me going is uh, I hate mediocrity okay. and uh, and and I and I hate complacency and um, the I, I'm sure there, I'm sure to some degree, this might be a narcissistic view. And, uh, but I feel like a lot of us really long to make an impact, to do something great. And I feel like, uh, giving up on dreams or, uh, taking that cushy, safe job, uh, only wastes the precious amount of time that we have, uh, you know, in this world. And so I would, I would hate to, to feed that beast. I would hate to, cause you know, you, you never know who might actually be paying attention to you, your career, who you might be inspiring. Can you imagine uh, if, if, if there was someone out there that, that actually thought, Oh, you know, like uh, this guy, Dan's got it going on. I, I kind of look to him, look at his career and see how it's taking off to just absolutely call it quits. You know, like, what does that say about their dreams? You know, if that guy quit, you know, I could quit, you know, if that guy could take that cushy job, I could take that cushy job. I, I would hope that at the end of my life I've inspired a few people to think that if that guy can do it, I can do it.
0: Yeah. Awesome, dude. Awesome. So I have, One final thing for you to do before we wrap up the show. I have all my guests sign off the show.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Dan, will you do me the honor of signing off the show tonight?
1: Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, For anybody out there that's listening to this podcast, uh, dream big, work hard, be a good person. And I'm Dan Penna, and I live uncontained.
0: And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Dan for joining me on the show. It was a blast and look forward to seeing him do stand up again sometime, hopefully soon. So if you're in the LA area or wherever he is coming, make sure you check him out. You can keep keep up to date with his schedule um uh, by checking out his social media which I have links to in the show it's pretty simple I am Dan Pena at uh whether it's Twitter Instagram Snapchat or uh Facebook as well so you can uh find him there make sure you tell him you heard him here on Uncontained and also once again please if you are feeling in the mood to support the show visit my Patreon page. Yeah, stop by. If if you're moved to, you know, there's a $1 club group, there's a $5 group, all the way up to a $20 group with different uh, different ranges of rewards for each group. So I appreciate everybody's support. And until next time, live uncontained.